This is episode number 439 with Deblina Bhattacharjee, artificial intelligence researcher and deep learning engineer. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is John Crone, a chief data scientist and best-selling author on deep learning. Each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build a successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today, and now let's make the complex simple. Welcome to this episode of the Super Data Science Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. John Crone, and it is my great pleasure to be joined today by the fascinating and brilliant Deblina Bhattacharjee. Deblina is a world-class artificial intelligence researcher who specializes in using deep learning for machine vision tasks. She has a breathtaking wealth of applied machine learning experience in industry as well as in academia, having developed models for detecting white blood cells in medical images, predicting the arrival of earthquakes by watching the subtle movements of skyscrapers, and better understanding the intelligence of plants. Yes, you heard me, the intelligence of plants. If that hasn't blown your mind yet, Deblina's current PhD research is focused on developing models that will enable two-dimensional images of landscapes, such as the landscape paintings of fine art, landscape photographs in magazines, or landscape illustrations in comic books, to be converted into immersive 3D virtual reality experiences that you can jump into and explore. In this episode, Deblina fills us in on what the software tools and typical work week is like for a professional AI researcher, the critical mathematical subjects and data science skills you need to master to be an outstanding machine learning practitioner, the increasing significance of unsupervised learning approaches for automatically labeling training data as data sets become exponentially larger each year, and her top tips for being a prolifically productive professional. This episode will be of interest to anyone who's interested in learning what the state of the art is in computer vision and what it's like to be working at the cutting edge in AI. Here and there throughout the episode, Deblina also provides specific technical guidance that will be beneficial for any hands-on data scientists, particularly if you're interested in machine learning, deep learning, or machine vision. Deblina is so amazing. I can't wait for you to hear from her. Let's go. Deblina, welcome to the program. We're so excited to have you back. It's been four years. Deblina was a guest on the Super Data Science Podcast in 2017 when she was pursuing a master's in South Korea. We can't wait to hear about all of the exciting updates that have happened since then. I know from already talking to you before we started recording that you are an extremely interesting person with so many diverse interests, the research that you're doing, the commercial projects you've had in the data science sphere are all so exciting. I can't wait for our audience to hear about it as well. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Sean, for having me over here. It's equally exciting for me to come back to Super Data Science Podcast after four years. Uh, Back then, I was just a student. I'm still a student. I think I forever will be a student. (laughs) Uh, But um, I I was... um, I'm, I have learned much more than what I had known uh, whilst doing my master's in 2017 when, for the first time, Kirill interviewed me. 
but it's really exciting to be back on this platform again. Nice. So when in 2017, you were doing a master's, uh, what was it? What was the research focus? So uh, I graduated in 2017. Um, when I started um, my, my master's, it was based on evolutionary computation. So mm-hmm. um, I was working um, to simulate or model mathematically the uh, intelligence mechanism of biological plants, oh. which is... Which is different. Yeah, which is different. The intelligence mechanism of biological plants? Yeah. What does that mean? It's quite different, actually. Um, So I had to, like, uh, sit in meetings with different biologists and even even go through the biochemistry and how signals are transducted amongst uh, um, the different plants, how they communicate with each other what kind of um, sequencing is done um, when they have some chemicals being transported and what happens, like the inner mechanisms. So I studied that and tried to model it uh, mathematically. I don't think I was so successful, but um, there were quite so many obstacles, uh, which is always there ever so slightly in any research. Um, But um, anyhow, I did model, uh, come up with something, and finally... Um, I presented, I think, my first paper at uh, one of the student research competition in uh, ACM in Italy back in 2016. And there the judges happened to ask me that why, where, what are the possible implications of the research and what is the, where are you going to apply it? So uh, I did not have an answer that time, so I couldn't uh, <laughs> really finish the competition at the top. But then later, I had more discussions with my advisors and the other people on the team. And uh, frankly enough, I I really had no clue. And uh, then uh, there was this new project where I had to identify um, white blood cells from medical images. So I was like, why not use turn the modeling from the uh, evolutionary computational perspective into a search optimization uh, solution to solve such problems? And so I did that. And finally, uh, yeah, that was used to solve some medical imaging problems. So let me interrupt you for, I've got one quick question and then maybe a longer question. So the quick question is, Uh uh, just for our listeners' sake, uh, what is the ACM competition that you were at? What does ACM stand for? So it's Applied Computer Machinery, I think, uh, ACM. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Uh, it's one of the uh, the top bodies of research in computer science, yeah. Definitely. This episode is brought to you by Super Data Science, our online membership platform for learning data science at any level. If your New Year's resolution is to skyrocket your data science career, then we have something super special prepared for you today. Until the end of January, January 31st, you can lock in year-long access to the Super Data Science platform at a deep discount. You save 40% on the annual plan and pay only 166 US dollars instead of the usual 276. Our streamlined user interface will enable you to move easily between learning materials and become a top data scientist, business intelligence analyst, or machine learning engineer. Inside the Super Data Science platform for a whole year, you'll have unlimited access to all of our 50 plus courses, which together provide over 300 hours of content. And finally, you will be part of a community of talented, inspired, and driven data scientists who are keen to learn together and grow their careers together. So don't hold off. Visit superdatascience.com and save 40% on your annual membership. 
available only until the end of January. Once again, the website is superdatascience.com. And now, let's get back to this riveting episode. And then, so let me try to summarize what you just said was that, so you were doing this research, you didn't, you weren't really aware of the practical implications. So you're kind of in a way, I mean, not basic math, because it wasn't, you weren't like, you know, studying topology or something, but you were, you were coming up with models to mathematical models to try to simulate the mm-hmm. intellectual behavior of plants. Exactly. <laughs> and you weren't sure what usefulness that would have. But then for a separate project, you were trying to identify white blood cells in images, and you were able to use some of that, uh, some of that math to, mm-hmm. to do that work. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. So um, when it started, I really did not have an idea, as I said. Uh, but my advisor said that plants have this inherent intelligence which uh, if you see a plant growing, uh, well, it depends on which species of plant growing, but inherently they follow the Fibonacci series of growth when they branch out. Even the root has some way to find the water gradient uh, within the soil. So they have this kind of, which comes from evolution, uh, because they have been surviving since eons. So uh, to understand how to, you know, um, uh, optimize the uh, surge grid and basically um, force the agent to uh, locate certain uh, things which are not, uh, you know, the, the scarce resources. So that's what the plant does. So if you see, inherently, it has kind of intelligence going on. So uh, we uh, sort of, why not model it? Um, there were, as I said, I stumbled upon how to start it. So there was a lot of calculus. There was uh, all kinds of uh, graph theory. There was, of course, geometric base. There was topology too involved to understand. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So uh, finally, I came up with an objective-based function and an algorithm which can work. Uh, also, there was some reinforcement signal used because, of course, it's like a, an agent searching through an unknown world to find wow. its goal. So uh, it, it was something like that. And ultimately, I used that into this particular leukocyte or white blood cell um, detections mm-hmm. because the thing is, it aids doctors in diagnosis much faster if it's automated because uh, manually finding them is expensive and time-consuming and also subjected to intern intra-observer variability, depending on who is examining it. Although the people doing it are very well-versed and very skilled at it, but uh, de- uh, detecting white blood cells from medical images from the blood samples are very, very difficult. So um, I thought maybe I can use it. So I had to like change it to uh, basically a search optimization problem and apply this particular algorithm to find the solutions to them. And it was um, the accuracy of it was pretty high. And uh, there were there are the publications still there. I think it was Triple AI that I published uh, the paper in. So uh, back in 2017, yeah, 17, yeah. So that was it. That sounds amazing. And you've been doing computer vision research since, right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, if I remember correctly, it was a, a relatively brief stint, a stint for a couple of years at Samsung in, oh, yeah, South, yeah. in South Korea, which is where South you Korea. did your master's. Mm-hmm. And then you started a PhD, which you're doing now. So maybe tell us a bit about, I mean, without going into intellectual property at Samsung or something, but let us know a little bit about the kind of computer vision research that you were doing at Samsung, probably not detecting white blood cells, though maybe... <laughs> Um, and then, yeah. And then tell us about 
what you're doing right now in your PhD. Okay. It's, it's pretty interesting because I always had this uh, diverse focus um, of, you know, how to apply a given set of solutions, uh, maybe differently to existing problems. And um, either that or to um, a- attack um, as many uh, fields, um, if not, you know, um, if not a single field and not deep dive into it. So my area of research, a focus of research has always been ac- across multiple fields. So when I moved, when I finally graduated uh, in 2017 uh, from Kyunkut National University in South Korea, I got this job um, at Samsung Intelligent Media Research Center uh, in another city uh, in South Korea. Um, and then, because South Korea was at that time hit by um, consecutive earthquakes, so my, there was this uh, project by the uh, government over there um, where they told the researchers who was being hired to. Um, formulate a, a, an architecture, a, a model and architecture where you can uh, use computer vision in order to solve uh, the early earthquake detection problem. So the, the, the moment that the secondary wave or the S wave hits a particular building, the building starts shaking and then a person understands the severity of the earthquake. But uh, what we do not understand is when the P wave hits because it's relatively... Um, you cannot actually decipher when it hits the a building or anything, right? So what's the what's the P the wave? The primary wave. P wave is the or, primary uh, wave. The most, the most destructive part of the earthquake, I guess. The the most destructive part is actually the secondary wave, which uh, oh. is a which is much larger in amplitude, and the way how it travels within the earth is also different. Uh, the Ooh. primary wave, the amplitude is much lesser because it's the first when it just starts. So um, my work was, and actually MIT CCL was also doing the same work, um, and my inspiration for the work, because I had to use uh, computer vision for this, was the publications by MIT CCL, um, to, I think it was Abe Davis, his work on visual magnification. So you basically take the amplitude and you magnify the phase of how the waves are, are traveling, uh, into your algorithm, um, and this is all captured by simple conventional cameras. Even your mobile phone can do now. So you just capture the uh, fluctuations in the normal um, vibrations of the building, and you record that, and you use that particular thing um, and uh, monitor the amplitude and the phase. But you have to magnify the phase um, because those mag- uh, those vibrations are not commonly visual uh, visible to the human eye. But it might be, of course, visible to the computer uh, vision algorithm, which you have trained it on. So, oh. so that was the overall thing that we were working on. So that oh, was this yeah. whole time. I forgot that we were even talking about computer vision. I was kind of imagining, like, I don't know, like I was thinking of like time series analysis, and maybe like detecting vibrations. Uh-huh. But you're using computer vision to detect changes in the movement of a building exactly. and that can be used to predict when an earthquake is going to hit. Wow. Yeah. That is super cool. Yeah, it was very interesting for me to work on too. So once I finished that project, I was, uh, I, there was um, a personal uh, stuff for which I had to quit and come back to India, where I'm originally from. So I went back to India and then within a month, I received this uh, awful letter from EPFL at Switzerland. Um, for uh, where I got hired directly uh, hired into a lab, so nice. um, and, and then so, I, 
EPFL is a, it's a top Swiss university. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know it. It's in Lausanne, right? It's, yeah, it's in Lausanne. So, um, from, so uh, under the uh, advice of my, um, so I'm jointly um, in, in two labs. One is the image and visual representation lab, and the other one is the computer vision lab at EPFL. So I'm working on a particular uh, large-scale computer vision project right now. Uh, and it's also the crux of my uh, doctoral dissertation. So um, it would be, so I, I was very much interested because it's European arts, you know, what better place to study arts than in Europe. So I got this project where I had to like bridge the gap between um, arts, digital humanities and uh, computer vision. So, so, was, so when you say landscapes, you're talking about fine art. You're talking about like painted landscapes. Yes, I, I, I'm talking about that. And, and not only landscapes, even historical periodicals from the yesteryear, starting from the um, end of the 19th century to the beginning of the century. Uh, comics also, magazines. The artist had um, from that time, there are so many comics, European comics. Uh, of, they have different artistic styles. So I like, work Like Tintin? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> really? <laughs> they, they call uh, Tan Tan over here because it's a French speaking yeah, part. Right, right, right. Of course. Yeah, oh, Tan Tan. So uh, to um, reconfigure all those things uh, into um, digital platform in order to you know maybe form an augmented reality, animate it, and uh, to basically do scene understanding out of all these things. So that's what? the focus of the project we are working on. Wait, wait, wait. The the idea of the project is to use computer vision to uh -huh. take landscapes from any source. It could be fine arts, it could be comics, it could be from magazines, mm -hmm. and turn that into like an immersive experience? Yeah, the end goal would be to turn it into an immersive experience. Uh, but right now, because it's still at its very inception, the project, uh, and we are taking baby steps, so uh, we are oh, just yeah. yeah we are just working with saliency and depth estimation style transfer to you know get it going. So ultimately, using all these different methods, we'll try to understand the scene and retarget the images from these particular comics or periodicals and magazines of the yesteryear to the um, digital platforms. It might be a tablet, a television, or even your mobile phone. And, and maybe then, need VR goggles. And then, and then we will wow, do the yeah. animation, yeah. <laughs> so VR goggles for sure later. Wow. So, so, um, so in a few years, maybe, or maybe a little longer, we'll see what mm -hmm. happens. Yeah, sure. But theoretically, we could have kids who pick up a Tintin, Tintin mm -hmm. comic book, and then they can also put on VR goggles and go into the scene that the hero of the comic book is in. Oh, for sure. It's a very ambitious uh, project, but I guess it would be uh, something really interesting because yeah. I think it forms part of entertainment, uh, a new avenue of entertainment, which was not so explored. And we're trying to explore that. So let's see how it takes where it takes that. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, so yeah. I started off this podcast by saying there's so many interesting things about you, and I can't wait to get to them. But we haven't even gotten to any of those things yet. Everything that you've said is completely new to me. Oh my goodness! All right, so that's one of the labs you work in on your PhD. What's the second lab that you work in? So um, the thing, um, so image and visual representation lab and computer vision lab. These two labs um, have hired me jointly in order to work in this project. 
So oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So so it's, I'm just a joint uh, member of these two labs. Yeah. I understand. Okay. Well, that was an amazing intro to what you do professionally, but I also know you have a very interesting hobby that I would love everyone to know about, and I'm hopeful that we can somehow find a link so that people can enjoy this uh, from home. But I discovered while we were chatting before recording that you are a drummer in progressive rock bands. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us about that and uh, tell us what kinds of artists you love to cover. There are some of my favorite bands it's my favorite genre of music. And so I'm so excited that this is something that you do. So uh, prog rock, I, I got into it uh, when I was in high school. Uh, no, rather, I would say middle school, because there was this drummer who had to change schools. And so there was no replacement. So uh, that, that was the first day. Uh, so the, uh, um, the music teacher was like, who is ready to drum? And I, was the, I think I was the only girl in that particular team. So I was like, why not? Let's give it a try. So uh, it didn't work out for the first two hours that I was trying to pick up the beat <laughs> and play. <laughs> then I just took a break and I was really trying hard. And somehow I don't know how I could sing the beats. And I got selected during the audition. But I'm thankful that my music teacher gave me the extra time, which was required to practice. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been a, a drummer. And I'm nowhere near a, a proper drummer or a professional drummer. I, I just do it out of love for drumming. Uh, so um, I, like I, the, I like that you say that, but prog rock has some of the most complex drum rhythms possible. So when you say something like that, I'm I have this feeling that you're an amazing drummer, but it's just that you're like, well, I'm not actually a professional prog rock drummer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, prog rock has such difficult beats and the synchronization and the way it changes. It's really mm-hmm. difficult to actually. Uh, follow it through. So uh, I try to imp- uh, improv sometimes, but it r- really isn't improv. It's like literally escaping the tough parts of it, and <laughs> replacing it with something that you can do. Right. So yeah. So um, yeah, from high school, actually, my friends, so the band that I was in, we used to play a lot of classics, and then uh, it was more of pop classics, alternatives, and you know, like Beatles, ABBA, and then finally we were like, wait, prog rock is so fun, like lyrics-wise, also. And it was really an escape route to me. So I delved into it throughout my undergrad school also. Um, I really liked it, liked listening to it. Um, um, My major favorite bands, uh, I always liked Dream Theater. uh, And um, I I really liked the way how it progresses. um, Systematic Chaos is one of my favorite albums. And... um, uh, there are so many other albums, but it would just take a lot of time. And that's another podcast I think I can do. Sure, yeah, we don't <laughs> need to go into yeah. that too long. But uh, is Dream Theater, that's the one with Steve Vai as the guitarist. Is that right? Uh, uh, Petrucci. Petrucci. Oh, yeah. man. Oh, so, just embarrassed yeah. myself. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> no, no. It's, uh, I mean, and uh, Pink Floyd too. So we cover a lot of those things. Um, uh, Beautiful, beautiful songs, uh, because all based on on the guitarists that we have. We have a fantastic guitarist. So, yeah. And sometimes we go to Genesis. Love that band too. Love Genesis. Yeah. Riverside is another. I, I don't. There, there's a friend who uh, got me introduced to this band, Riverside. That's equally fun. I love their album. Um, and yeah, there's so many. I, I I really can go on and on and on about this particular thing. Talking. Yeah. And like speaking of complexity and originality in prog rock drumming, Phil Collins was a fa- was a drummer in Genesis for a long time, right before mm-hmm. going out on his own. 
and he has really incredible um drumming uh originality I, i'm in my head i'm like i'm i'm planning on like i'm trying to, I'm, I'm imagining it in my head but i know that if i try to make it come out of my mouth it's gonna just be terrible and everyone's gonna switch off the podcast oh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but i have i have in my head i have the the, the like really famous uh phil collins song um uh, i'm not gonna start singing it um <laughs> but amazing so um, I, I think what you do is absolutely so fascinating to be involved in so many different kinds of uh, mathematical modeling, uh, today in computer vision. So what's a day like, um, in your role doing your computer vision PhD in Lausanne? Um, uh, so, um, it's heavily focused on research. So I would say 60% is research and 40% experimentation and implementation of um, the ideas that I come up with. So uh, the day usually starts with um, going to the lab. And now because of COVID, it's work from home in my office over here. So yeah, so basically uh, you get up, you start with uh, a particular set of papers that you might have, like state of the art that you read through and always try to keep up to uh, yourself up to the latest trends in that particular field that you're working in, because that's very important. Um, things which were uh, prevalent uh, two years back or even last year have already become obsolete and have been uh, beaten by the latest state of the art. So that's important. And then um, sketching out a new method or your proposed method, uh, method that you want to actually implement. So uh, that, is, that goes into the research time. So it takes 60% of my work week. And then the remaining 40% is coding, which I do using Python and PyTorch. And sometimes MATLAB is required. And mm. uh, yeah, um, for, uh, when you have some uh, MAT files, some H file, it depends how you're saving uh, some right. file format. So you just need to port it from one language to the other. And, yeah. uh, and of course, mathematics is very important. Uh, I start with like, it's, I cannot stress how important it is. Like uh, linear algebra, for at least when you're working with machine learning, so linear algebra, uh, calculus, you have to know uh, statistics well, uh, a bit of probability, theory of probability is important. And uh, what else do I work with? Uh, visualization, you should know a good way, a tool to visualize your results because you have to communicate it with your team at the end of the day. So if you do not know how to, you, you might have fantastic set of results, but if you do not know how to communicate with the rest of your team, then I don't think it, it gets lost in the translation, I feel. So that is how I go through. And also, um, inspecting my failure, uh, whenever, like most, most so often it happens, like um, I come up with an idea and I just lose track, like why it was supposed to work. Theoretically, I might have proved it, but then I also try to disprove it. But when I work uh, on, on the system, it just doesn't make sense anymore uh, based on the domain that we are working on. So. Um, I just try to inspect those failure cases because when that happens, you know of one more way of how not to tackle the problem. So uh, I spent a lot of time into, into those inspections as well. Yeah. I am so happy that you, so this is going to be a bit of a shameless plug. Okay. But you're, you're talking about the importance of linear algebra, calculus, probability, statistics, and then also data visualization. 
Yeah. So, um, I, and I know that uh, Super Data Science does have great data visualization courses that you can get through superdatascience.com or Udemy. But those other topics, linear algebra, calculus, probability and statistics, I've been working. So through 2020, I was developing my machine learning foundations content, which covers exactly those topics, um, because I have I also appreciate how critical those um, underlying subjects are to being able to do data science at a really high level. And so, did you know about this? Is it? it or it's a complete coincidence that you're bringing this up. I imagine. I did not know what the course yeah. are. Yeah. Okay, okay. So I have this course called the Machine Learning Foundations course. Okay. And um, so like if you look at, so there's like in GitHub, Machine Learning Foundations, you'll get my Machine Learning Foundations course. So all of the code, I've already created it for all of these subjects. That's um, fantastic. And we have live in Udemy today. We have almost all of the linear algebra content live um, in Udemy in a course that where where super data science is my partner on getting this stuff um, published in Udemy, and so mm -hmm. you know being able to leverage the expertise that yeah. super data science has in creating the most popular machine learning courses of all time in Udemy. Um, but anyway, so I it was just basically a shameless plug, but I it's you know we're we're speaking the same language here. I um, I think it's going to benefit all our listeners, so for sure. Nice. All right. So, um, yeah, so you end up working in Python, you end up working in MATLAB, um, PyTorch library you mentioned. Are there any other key libraries that you um, work with a lot in Python? So maybe for data visualization, Seaborn, maybe something like that? Um, for the project that I'm right now working with, it's basically Matplotlib and a lot of NumPy scikit-learn um so that's basically classics. that i work with yeah classics sometimes wisdom to visualize what's happening happening oh, with no. yeah, yeah yeah i haven't heard of that wisdom just like yeah. w-i-s-d-o-m no it's i think we i-s-d-o-m if i'm not mistaken uh yeah got it but i i might be wrong uh i i i rarely check the spelling when i'm coding because the editor takes Care of that, so. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, we'll find it and we'll make sure that it's in the show notes so that listeners can click through okay. and find that. Mm -hmm. um, awesome. And then, so we know that a big chunk of your day is spent reading machine learning papers, um, staying up to date on the latest state of the art. Um, have you come across, so uh, we're recording right in the beginning of January 2021, and this really exciting, I've been completely blown away by this model that was released this week which is called Dolly by OpenAI. Did yes. you come across this? I, I saw that. Uh, it, it was great, but I did not really read through the paper as of now because I couldn't find time yet. But yeah, I saw that in one of the news, uh, the articles that I follow. So that was great. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, it, it relies on GPT-3, which isn't available to the public. So this uh, model isn't available to the public either, but this model takes text, freeform text that you write, and converts it into an image. And it is mind-blowing. Um, if you go to the Dolly blog post, so this is, it's pronounced like Salvador Dolly, um, mm -hmm. but it's spelt like the Pixar movie, the Disney Pixar movie, Wally, -E, um, about the oh, okay. AI robot. Um, so it's uh -huh. uh, D-A-L-L hyphen E in all caps. And so okay. viewers, if they Google OpenAI Dolly, that'll take you right to the blog post. And in the blog post, 
you can, I don't know if you've played around with this, Deblina, you can, you can change inputs into the model. So there's, you can't type anything you want, but they give you a, yeah, yeah. a broad range of possible inputs. Like, you know, huh? yeah. So like I, for example, um, I created <laughs> illustrations of an avocado with a mustache skating on ice. <laughs> and it, <laughs> it automatically creates for you like 25 of them. And you see 25 completely different avocados with mustaches skating wow. on ice. Um, <laughs> That's so cool. A bok choy with headphones sipping a latte. Um, a cucumber in a leather jacket looking in the mirror. <laughs> and really cool. um, uh, one of my favorites was a sleepy pepperoni pizza slice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which it did an amazing job. That's uh, classic. <laughs> it creates a pizza slice, but the pizza yeah. slice looks sleepy. So Sleepy. Yeah, it's amazing. It has like a face on it. Um, I don't know. It's yeah. So it's mind blowing to me how quickly things are changing. And I'm, I went off on a bit of a tangent just so I could talk about Dolly, but, um, <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, after this podcast, I'm going to check that out. <laughs> awesome. Um, so uh, I think we've already kind of touched on this, uh, you know, by talking about, you know, Python, MATLAB, mm -hmm. linear algebra, probability, calculus, statistics, uh, data visualization, are there any other key skills that you think our listeners should have to be a great data science, a great data scientist, either as an academic like yourself or maybe in industry? Um, I would say, so it depends really. Like if you're uh, talking about data science or if you're talking about a decision scientist, because if you're a decision, if you're a decision scientist and if you're um, at a, say, the mid-management level of a project in an industry, then the domain knowledge is very much important. But if you're just uh, a data scientist at junior level, the domain knowledge is not that important. Rather, the implementation side of it, the mathematical side of it is more important. For the data scientist, I would like to say uh, all the above things that I said before, uh, which was um, linear algebra, calculus, stats, probability, a particular visualization tool, um, communication, how to present maybe a PowerPoint presentation or a keynotes or whatever you like it. And uh, of course, like coding, a good grip on a coding language and a data, a deep learning framework. It, it's kind of important, uh, be it for any job uh, across industry or even for academia. But when it comes to uh, domain knowledge, I wouldn't say that the stress is so much on the data scientist. Uh, because the decision scientist uh, knows a bit more about the domain and tries to um, um, tries to educate the data scientist about uh, the type of data that he has to work um, that they have to work on. Um, so um, I think an intermediate level of um, of uh, domain knowledge should be important for a decision scientist, but um, and a, a beginner level of domain knowledge is okay for a data scientist. That's the only difference. Also, I would say knowing Git, like the bash commands, it really helps. And it has so many shortcuts, even during programming implementation really helps. And it depends from industry to industry, because uh, I remember the first job that I had, they wanted to uh, wanted me to know uh, C with Python and sometimes Cython. So there are a lot of different, you know, that it de depends on which com uh, company you're working on uh, working in and on what pro uh, project you're working on. So um, I would say it, it really is a broad spectrum question, but ultimately you should like try to target these areas. Yeah. 
That was such a perfect answer. You articulated that beautifully. Um, (laughs) The only thing that I want to circle back on and make sure I'm getting right is, um, so uh, what were these key differences between a decision scientist and a data scientist? So the the decision scientist was a a bit more senior than a a data scientist who you would consider like more entry-level role? Um, normally, I would say yes, at least in the industry that I was in and even um, in the projects that I've worked on, I have seen the decision scientists to be at a senior level uh, who know the project much more um, depending upon the domain knowledge that they have and they know the data much more than the um, researcher or the data scientist who is going to work. So they are, they are the people who explain the data and even the project. They break down basically the com- complex uh, end goal of the project, the end problem into sub-problems, easier problems, so that the data scientists can tackle it. And whilst doing that, they also explain the data that they will be working with. So I think that's the difference. Amazing. That's so helpful, Dublina. I I can only imagine that that's really helpful guidance for our listeners. Another question related to this is, what do you think is coming in, in the coming years? So what should a data scientist be doing to prepare for the future? Um, is it the same kinds of things th- that you mentioned? So the the machine learning foundational subjects that we've talked about, the deep learning library frameworks, or is there anything in particular that if you know somebody's thinking that they're preparing um, to either be a more advanced data scientist or they just like to be looking to the future, um, is there anything that you think they should be focusing on? For entry level jobs, I would say whatever I've mentioned should be should cover it. Um, um, if you are just seeking a junior position, but if you are trying to go into senior level positions for data science, or even as a say a senior research scientist, or even a research scientist for that matter, then I would say um, you need to delve a bit more into the current state of the art and know exactly. Suppose you are. Uh, if you are uh, applying for a position in computer vision, you should know a lot about computer vision because the round two of the interview would be strictly based on computer vision. And they are going to give you a research-based problem that the company is working on. And they see what kind of solutions do you have to offer. Uh, it might not be the perfect solution, but they see whether you can try and how well do you think about breaking down the problem into nice um, sub-problems which are easy to handle, and how are you able to attack that problem? And what solutions do you have to offer? So that is what a research scientist position entails uh, in in the second round of the interview that I have uh, been subjected to in the past. Um, And uh, I would also say, if there's something specific that I see this uh, trend of ML going towards, it would be unsupervised learning. Uh, Because most of these companies, yeah, uh, self-supervised for that matter, These they still do not have a very perfect demarcation between the two terms, self-supervised and unsupervised. But uh, ultimately, it's like learning from uh, the vast amount of real-world data that we have, be it images, be it um, just non-annotated data. Because uh, the, ones, the, the data sets which are annotated, they are very few. And uh, annotating is very expensive and very mm-hmm. time consuming. So mm-hmm. um, the big companies might have the resources, uh, the finances to hire people or even outsource it and get those uh, annotations or even from um, millions of customers just signing onto their platforms. But generally startups or mid-level companies or even academia, uh, the, the, um, the schools, the institutions, they do not have that kind of uh, funding as big companies do. 
So we try to find out about, you know, ways of finding the inherent pattern in the data that we are supposed to work with, uh, rather than train the model using some ground truth labels. So unsupervised learning is the future. Uh, I, str- I strongly believe in that. Yeah. I love it. That's such a great answer. And I agree with you 100%. Um, all right. So you obviously, you've done a huge amount already in, I think it's fair to say, despite all of your accomplishments, to say you're still in the early part of your career and you have exciting uh, hobbies on the side. Do you have any particular productivity or prioritize, prioritization or time management secrets that you can share? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, so all my uh, calendars, my work calendars are synced across all my devices. It's very important because uh, the night before, um, the next day, um, I always try to see what is what I'm supposed to accomplish by the end of the next day. And accordingly, I make a list. So that always helps me to prioritize amongst all the different things that I do. Um, I did not really have this habit, but the moment I started uh, doing research um, and I started juggling multiple things, I had to maintain lists. So I just pull out my phone or even a piece of paper or my whiteboard. I just listed down whatever I have to do the next day, uh, the goals I have to achieve. And if there's something really major to be taken care of through, uh, in the coming week, I do that on the Sunday. Uh, so that I know that it's like a reinforcement signal to my brain that, okay, this has to be done and this much accuracy should be there for this particular task. So that's how I do it. Also, for I would say for productivity, this is something I cannot stress enough on. Um, so for research or even for people who are in data science and Emma who are studying, right, or even trying to venture into this particular field, I would say sign up for something uh, for some study se- sessions or reading sessions online because um, that's how I increase my productivity. If I have some ideas that might not work, looks to me fine, perfectly fine, might work, but I always get second, third, fourth opinions from a diverse set of individuals just to you know have that uh, extra, I would say, supervision uh, on my particular idea that why it shouldn't work. And also like the latest trends, we have like reading groups to keep up to up to date with the um, state of the art. It always helps one person presence and everyone gets to learn from that particular presentation. And then you have the brainstorming session after the presentation. This is very important, I feel, and it increases my productivity a lot. Kind of smart work, I would say. That sounds brilliant. Uh, those are all such great tips. I do some of those things. Uh, and then I've taken some notes on some of the others that I could fill in. So yeah. thank you so much, Dablina. Um, So I know that you're reading a really exciting book right now, and I want to hear more about it. Can you tell me about it, please? So uh, I started reading uh, Other Minds by Peter Godfrey Smith, and uh, it is basically it delves into the consciousness of uh, the octopus, the sea animals, and since how the consciousness has basically developed. Uh, what is consciousness? It um, hits all those hard-hitting questions. And the flow of the, the way how the author has articulated this entire thing, it doesn't uh, set into boredom, you know, it keeps the grip, it keeps the interest. And um, I don't want to give away a lot because people, <laughs> the, the, those will be like spoilers. It's it's it really a murderer. We do we do <laughs> you, you don't want to tell us who you yeah. No, never. <laughs> you don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, I do not want to spoil because it's really, it's like an experience. If you just take that book and it's an amazing book, I couldn't stress enough how amazing the book is. 
please do read it. Uh, I, I'm really liking reading it. And um, perhaps with your background, John, you would you would love it too. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds really amazing. I actually, I, um, I got a full PhD scholarship to study consciousness at University College London. So I had uh -huh. to write the proposal on everything and I was really deep into it. That ended up being not the route that I went down for my PhD. Um, but I, yeah, I absolutely love consciousness and your book. Yeah, this book sounds incredible. Um, so we will definitely make a link to that in the show notes. And yeah, I'm going to have to make time to read it for sure. Yeah. So thank you so much, Dublina. You've had such amazing um, applications of data science to tell us about. You have had such great practical tips for data scientists, whether they're research scientists or not. Um, and a great book recommendation as well. So how can our listeners uh, contact you or follow you or find you um, to get some more of your insights in the future? I'm available both on LinkedIn and on Twitter. So my Twitter handle is Devlina for AI. So uh, we can just like, you know, um, brainstorm ideas if someone wants to follow me, like just, uh, I would be happy to engage in a meaningful conversation. And on LinkedIn too, I think you would post the link. So uh, that would be great if uh, we can chat up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have your LinkedIn and Twitter handles in the show notes. And yeah, amazing. I absolutely love this episode with you, Diblina. Thank you so much you. for making the time. And it was an honor. Thank you. Yeah, looking forward uh, to catching up with you again soon. Sure. Thank you so much. As you could tell, at many points in that episode, I'm so wildly impressed by Dublina's breadth and depth of machine learning know-how, productivity, and clear communication of complex concepts. I had so much fun recording this episode, was inspired, and learned a lot. I hope you did too. We covered so many amazing, cutting-edge machine vision applications, the lifestyle and toolkit of a world-class AI researcher, and the importance in machine learning of a strong foundational understanding of linear algebra, calculus, probability theory, statistics, and data visualization, a cause that's very close to my heart. If you're interested in being involved with some of Dublina's work on yet another diverse project, this one on outer space, Dublina is the head of the sponsoring vertical for the spacecraft team in Lausanne, Switzerland, that aims to send two nanosatellites to space by the end of 2023. More than 60 engineers, researchers, and scientists across Switzerland are involved in this project. The data collected from those nanosatellites will be applied to study the upper atmosphere of the Earth to facilitate climate research and to study space debris as well as exoplanets beyond our solar system. Her team has received public funding of 2 million euros already for the project's early phases, but for the next phase of platform development, deployment, and testing, she's seeking private funding of up to 2 million euros. If you're in a position to help out, this would not only provide you with access to innovative technologies, but it would support an extraordinary environmental sustainability project as well. If you want to join forces with her, you can reach out to her directly via Twitter or LinkedIn. As always, you can get all the show notes, including the transcript for this episode, the video recording, any materials mentioned on the show, and URLs to Dublina Bataciargi's LinkedIn and Twitter profiles, as well as my own LinkedIn and Twitter profiles at superdatascience.com 439. 
That's superdatascience.com slash 439. If you enjoyed this episode, kindly leave a review on your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube, where you can enjoy a high-fidelity video version of today's program. It sure is nice to put smiling faces to all the laughs we had today. I also encourage you to tag me in a post on LinkedIn or Twitter to let me know your thoughts on this episode. I'd love to respond to your thoughts in public. All right. It's been so, so great. Thank you for listening. Looking forward to enjoying another round of the Super Data Science Podcast with you very soon.